I will sit. I will sit. I will sit. I will sit. I will sit in the chair of change. Amen. Amen. It's good to be here already, right? It's only going to get better. Are you excited about uh, looking into God's Word today and hearing Him speak to you personally? Amen. He's probably going to speak to that person next to you as well, but here's the deal. Don't be concerned about what he's saying to them. Be concerned about what he's saying to you. Amen? Just go ahead and draw that little circle right around you this morning. So he speaks to you. You know, wall up right here. Just keep it focused. God, what are you saying to me today? He knows how to take care of them and them and them and them. Right? Amen? Change. It's something that uh, is always happening. The weather here in Texas changes a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the whole crowd. Yeah. <clears throat> it's Texas. Welcome. So change happens. Change happens all the time. Uh, sadly, most stuff is in a phase of deteriorating. Ever since sin entered the world, we're in a phase of things become weaker. They don't maintain what they used to be. It won't be like that in heaven. Amen? It won't be. But sin brought a cataclysmic change to creation, and everything is in a state of deterioration. You don't have to go very far every day to discover that. If you wake up in the morning and happen by a mirror, you discover quickly things are not like they used to be. Amen? I want to show you a picture of a little boy in 1967. He's four years old at the time. If you look carefully... Somehow now there's hair sticking up in the back. <laughs> Photographer didn't catch that. But he had a great looking shirt on for 1967. <clears throat> that little boy is me, if you hadn't figured that out. 1967. Some things have changed a bit since then. Yeah? So some change happened over the next 10 years. I went into high school as a freshman looking like this next picture. Yeah. Who got their picture made at Olin Mills back in the day, right? And had those little dual things like that happening. Yeah, it was really cool back in the day. You don't find that anymore at <laughs> photo places. But yeah, as a freshman, that was my, the summer of my freshman year. I looked like a child. 1981. I'm a senior in high school. Here you go. <clears throat> yeah. Thank you, Heather. That was Heather, by the way. <clears throat> right? That was you, right? Okay, I just want to make sure. <clears throat> things, things change a lot, right? That was 1981. Things change over time. Things are not like they used to be. We are in a process of change. I feel it every day. <clears throat> I get up earlier than I used to, right? I don't know why that is. You get older, you get up earlier. Why is that? Sleep less and get up early. For some reason, you know, five o'clock, six o'clock, I'm like, well, might as well get up. I'm awake. And then, uh, you know, you get tired sooner. Can't do what you used to. I'm the one in, uh, in the living room looking out the window at Truett and his friends playing football for 30 minutes thinking, I used to do that, you know. <clears throat> Sometimes I'll go out there, but I'm not out there as long as they are running as hard as they are. Time does that. Time changes us. We are outwardly becoming a little bit weaker than we used to be. Amen? You can all identify with that. I'm not as strong as I once was. I'm not as able to do what I once was. But something also happened in 1981 when I looked like that. I had attended a church for a little while, and I checked on the card to have someone come visit me in my home because I wanted to ask some questions about what it meant to know God through Jesus Christ. One of the staff members came to visit me in my house and we talked for a while and he pretty quickly began to show me what it meant to know God through Jesus Christ. What it meant to have my sin paid for and removed. What it meant to cross that chasm between me and God in Christ and to know forgiveness and love and peace. And I said, I'll take it. I want it. 
and prayed in my living room, Lariat Circle and Westmoreland Road, and I became a follower of Jesus Christ that day. Something changed. There was a new me that day. And the new me is different than this me. The new me inside me, he's not getting weaker by the day. He's not able to do less by the day. The new me inside me, the one that was fused with the spirit of God in me, a new creation began in me that day, and that me is actually getting stronger by the day. That me is believing more by faith every day. That me is able to do things that old me could never do. New me trusts God in ways I didn't before. New me has more victory than old me ever thought about having. This is what happens to the new creation inside. New creation is growing, old creation passing away, right? So that's why the apostle Paul would write in 2 Corinthians, therefore we do not lose heart. I'm sure he meant to put in parentheses when we look in the mirror, but he didn't. He said, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. God is in the process of renewing, which is another word for changing us, not once in a lifetime, not once a year, not once a month, but day by day, he is consumed with renewing us and changing us. He is making us into something we weren't before. He is renewing the new me inside, the new man. He is making me into the very image of his son, Jesus Christ. He is shaping me. He's training me. He's walking with me. He's chipping away some rough edges. He's removing some things that I once trusted in and once believed and introducing new truth and new, new belief into me. He's giving me new faith and I'm walking in him. This whole series, Change Me, has been about that process. About the process of change. Romans 8, Paul would write, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, shaped, conformed, renewed, changed into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren." that he might be the first and we would follow. That he would be the the firstborn. Anybody got a firstborn in their family? Do you know that firstborns are different than second, third, and fourthborns? Come over to our house sometime. I'll talk to you about that. It happens in our family, right? Jesus is the firstborn and we're after him. He's like that older brother you never had, that you wished you had. He's that to you. And you are being shaped by the Father to be like the firstborn son. He's introducing things into your life. He's bringing people, circumstances, events into your life to shape you into the image of his son. That's what he's doing. The funny thing that you and I do is we sometimes get it flipped. We think that this church faith thing is supposed to help my life things. If I could you know, get a better grasp on faith church stuff, then maybe it would make my job better, my life better, my hobbies better, my bank account better. It has some benefit, I'll say that. But I'll also say this. God is not using this to try to make you better there. He's using all that out there to shape you into the image of his son there. That's important to remember because we get it flipped. Sometimes we think all that out there, job, money, happiness, marriage, friends, hobbies, whatever, car, house, all that stuff, that that's primary and this is secondary. That's not the way it is in the kingdom of God. God will use all of that secondary to shape you primary 
into the image of his son. In fact, sometimes he may even have you struggle in those things so you can become more like his son. He may change your job situation. He may reduce the amount of money you got in the bank. He may introduce some issues, some struggles into your life to shape you into the image of his son. That's what he does, because that's primary to him. Our message today is called Dreams, Promises, and Commas. Comma. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. We're in the middle of a, a passage, John 15, verses 1 through 8. So, I issued this challenge some six weeks ago and said, each week, memorize one of the verses because we're going to take this passage one verse at a time. And let's memorize it and see if we can, at the end of the series, have all eight verses memorized. Next week is the end of the series. Can you believe that? So, how are you doing in memorizing? You I making some progress? I got something exciting next week. I can't wait for you to see that's going to happen in relation to this. But let's try it. I've been working on it too. So let's, if, you've been, if you've been trying to memorize it, let's just try it together. I've got my page here to look at just in case I, I mess up. I'm sure you've got your Bible, your iPad, Bible program, whatever you got in front of you. Let's just try this, okay? Verse 1 says, uh, Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. How'd you do? Did you do good on that? Yeah? Okay. Good. Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Very good. Verse 3. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Verse 4. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm going to look down and get a first word clue here, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Looking for a clue. He who abides in me bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Verse 6, this is last week. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and toss them into the fire, and they are burned. If this is your first uh, time here in this passage, I'd encourage you to go back to our YouTube channel, Vertical Church of Villa, and watch the other parts of the message so you can see what we've been learning about these verses. They are some of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible, and if you miss them, it can fill you with a lot of fear instead of a lot of confidence. And Jesus didn't speak these to his disciples to make them afraid all the time. He spoke them that they might have confidence as they went forward what they were going through. Amen? So today we move on into verse 7. And we see another fascinating passage or verse. Here's what verse 7 says. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Man. Great verse. So mistaught. Have you ever heard someone misuse this verse? You know, to uh, use it as their reason for asking for something completely and utterly ridiculous and claim this verse as the promise for them getting that thing. Yeah, I have to. And so today, we're going to understand more of what Jesus, I believe, meant, understand it in the context, and see how we can apply it to our own lives. Let's just break it down. We've been doing that for six weeks now. We've, this, we've broken these verses down one word sometimes at a time. So we're going to start today with the very first word, if. That's a good place to start. Jesus is, um, is talking with the disciples. Again, they are on their way to what will become the Garden of Gethsemane experience. The night before Jesus is taken to the cross. He's about to endure 
incredible physical agony. But that is nothing to be compared to the agony of soul he will bear. For there on the cross, the New Testament tells us, he became sin that you and I might become the righteousness of God in him. He would bear the penalty that you and I deserved. And so he is about to go into a difficult time. The disciples are about to walk into a difficult time. They're about to have their Lord taken from them. Their faith is going to be challenged. They are about to go through a pruning process. And so Jesus says here in this verse to the disciples, to followers, if, it's a condition, if. In other words, what I'm going to tell you next is based on a condition, an option. You're going to need to do what I say next if you want to get the results that I'm going to tell you about afterwards. It's an if. It's a condition. If you want things to go well for you, when you're driving through Ovilla, you will obey the speed limit signs. Amen? If you do, things will go well for you. If you do not, I cannot guarantee that. Right? Amen? If. If. It's a, it's a condition. It's, a, it's, a, it's an option. A choice. And Jesus has been laying this out here. If you will abide in me, when you abide in me, those who abide in me. And here he issues an if. In other words, you have an option. You can choose to abide in me, or you might choose not to abide in me. If you choose not to abide in me, Jesus has already made it clear, there are some things that will happen. You'll be like a stick rather than a branch. Now let me clarify Again, here in Texas, we think of a vine as something that grows on a branch. If you were walking with Jesus and he's talking about a vineyard, the main piece that came out of the ground in which the grapes grew was the vine. Okay, It was the part that to us, us Texans, we'd think, that's a branch. It's a, it's a vine, though. Jesus would call that the vine. And the pieces that would come off of it, he would call the branches. Okay, that's where the leaves and the fruit would be produced. And Jesus is going to say, if you abide in me, you'll have fruit. But if you don't abide in me, you're going to be like a stick. You're going to be dry. You're going to be fruitless. You're going to be rootless. And you'll probably end up ruthless. How about that? A stick. Sticks don't change. Sticks are the same as they were last week, last month, last year, last decade. They don't change. They're still the same. Their attitudes don't change. Their actions don't change. They refuse to change. That's what sticks do. And Jesus is saying, don't be a stick. Be like a branch. I'm going to lay out a condition for you. Here's what he says. If... Here's the condition. You abide in me. Here's the if. You abide in me. If you make the choice of attaching and remaining in Christ. So we are the branches. We are the part that comes off of the main vine. And Jesus said, if you will remain attached to the vine, if you will let the life that comes from the root, from the soil up through the vine flow into you, then you are abiding, you are resting, you are allowing the life flow into you. This is what Jesus is laying out for us here. Another word for abide is remain, rest, receive. You stay with it. You don't walk away because it got difficult. You don't walk away because all of a sudden you couldn't figure it out. You don't walk away because it got painful. You stay and you remain. You don't leave because you got pruned. You don't get upset and say, how dare he? You don't get upset and say, how dare they? Remember, God uses all the stuff out there to help shape in us the very image of his son, who's 
there. Amen? He's shaping us, and he'll use that. So don't get angry. Don't get bitter. Don't get resistant. Don't lose your faith. Don't get fearful. Don't panic. Remain. Rest in me. Quit trying to control your circumstances. Rest in me. Quit trying to be the one who gets revenge. Rest in me, Jesus says. Quit trying to be the one who's going to make it all work. Rest in me. Quit trying to be the one who makes your own righteousness instead of receiving his righteousness. Abide. Rest. Remain. It's, uh, it's kind of like sitting in a chair. We've had our chair of change we've been talking about. We're here to sit in the chair of change. The funny thing about a chair is it has support. It's made to hold you, right? But there's a, there's a thing that you and I must do. You approach the chair. You're ready for the chair. You're all lined up for the chair. You're pretty sure it's going to hold you. But then there comes this moment. It happens so quickly that you and I don't even think about it much, if ever. It's the moment between here and here. It happens quickly. It's the moment where you decide to just let go and you're sure it's going to hold you, right? You, just, you have to just let back. The balance comes off your feet and you let go and then it takes over. And I'm out as far as controlling the situation anymore, right? It's what a chair does. It holds you. But you and I have to get to the place where we are willing to get right here and, ah, he got me, right? But when it comes to resting in Jesus Christ, this is what a lot of people do. They get close and they're like, okay, God, I'm going to trust you to work everything out in my life. I'm, I'm really going to trust you. No, 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 not, not going to do it. Okay, okay, God, you told me to forgive them. Okay, God, I'll, I'll forgive them and I'll just rest in you to work everything out. I, I really, I, no, 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 not going to do it, not going to do it. Okay, God, you told me to love my spouse because you love me and I want to love my spouse like you love me. Here I go, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, and you get right to that moment of full trust, full surrender, full let go. And a lot of people think, no, no, no. And they back away. Jesus says, if, if you're going to be mine, if you're going to walk with me, you've got to learn to abide, rest, let go, kick back, trust me. I'll work it out. I will be the one who goes before you. I will be the one who works it out. I'll be the one who provides for you. But you've got to abide in me. This is where Jesus is taking the disciples because you've got to know they're about to face something incredibly challenging. And he says, I want you to abide in me. But Jesus adds something to it here at this point. It's like he's taken the disciples to school and we're about to get to advanced level. We've been in freshman year. We're about to move on up to junior level course here. And he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Hmm, that's different. You see, abiding in me is me full surrender to who Jesus is, and I rest in him. I rest in him for my salvation. I rest in him for my life. I rest in him for all that he has for me. I trust him to work out the situations, details, even the stuff I don't understand in my life. I trust him. I put faith in what he says, not what I see. I rest but this part's different. He says, and my words abide in you. They rest there. They remain there. They are at home there. They are being lived out there. It's funny what happens in between these two little phrases here. Because I, I remember being at a time in my life, and I've met a lot of people at this point in their life, where they've done this. They said, well, I know I'm saved, but this next part, and my words abide in you, it's where they've 
stopped. They've hit the pause button because they didn't go on into letting God's word, his truth, the words of Jesus become what abides in them. They're still letting their own words drive their life instead of letting Jesus' words drive their life. They're still letting the words of others drive their life instead of letting God's word drive their life. They haven't got to the place of full surrender and letting the word of God direct, influence, determine the direction for your life. But this is what Jesus says you're going to need to do. If you want to get where we're going, then you're going to need to let some abiding happen, but you're going to need to let his word abide in you. Often, here's what happens. People say, yes, I want to follow Jesus Christ. And then they get that word, that teaching, something from scripture. Let's just stay on the track of forgiveness for just a moment. We know we're called to forgive those who hurt us. We're called to turn the other cheek. We're actually called to bless those who curse us. Hmm. So you can say you're saved, but now comes the calling to let that word abide in you and to truly live that out, to forgive that one who has hurt you, is hurting you, and will hurt you. To not let that poison and get stuck in your heart, but to forgive them. You've got to let that word abide and not say, look, I ain't doing that. I don't care. You don't know what they did to me. I am not doing that. Well, what you're doing is you're letting your word abide over his word, right? You're choosing to rest in what you think over what he says. He says, if you're, if, Remember, if you want what's coming, then you have to not only abide in me, but let my words abide in you. And so whenever he says something that to you feels unnatural, feels weird, feels awkward, you say, God, I'll choose what you say over what I say. It seems to be a contradiction right now. I can't imagine how that would come about, how that would even work if I followed your word in this situation, but I will trust you. It's that way when it comes to giving. People get caught up and they say, well, you know, I really want to give. I really want to obey God, but you see, I just can't right now. That's putting my words over his words. Amen? Say, I really want to follow Christ, but I just... I just don't know that I could love that other person right now because they're kind of unlovely right now. Oh, really? You mean like it's hard to love them because it's like they're a sinner and, and you're, you know, you're, you're in a good position and they're a sinner. Well, something like that, yeah. Well, that's how God loved you. So do to them what he's done to you and let his word abide in you. This is what has to happen if you want to get the results that are coming. There's fruit that comes if you abide in him and his word abides in you. Let me just talk to you for just a moment about fruit. What the Bible talks about as fruit. We've been talking about this idea that in, in Galatians 5, we know that there's the fruit of the spirit. There's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. There's nine of them listed there in Galatians chapter 5. And when you are abiding in him, and his word abiding in you, you will have the fruit of the spirit in your life. You will have love for others. You will be a joyful person in, the, in spite of the situation. You will give off peace in times of conflict. You will be patient when others aren't deserving of you being patient. It's a change that happens in your life. The fruit, the evidence, the outpouring of the spirit of God in your life. But the Bible also says there's other types of fruit. For example, if, you have, if you're taking notes, just jot these passages down. Hebrews 13, 15 says this. 
Let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. One of the fruits in the Bible is words that give glory to him. Words that are thankful. Words that are expressions of praise and thankfulness. The opposite, words of complaining, bitterness, resentment, anger, gossip, critical, cursing. We just go down the line. Those words are not fruitful words. They're evidence of me. They're not evidence of him in me. So he says, let the fruit of our lips be from his presence in us. Another fruit the Bible talks about are our actions. In Colossians 1.10, it says, that you may have a walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, where you are doing good for others. Not so you can get some glory, not so you can get some promo time, not so you can get some likes on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is. It's not for that kind of stuff, but it's so that God gets the glory. And you do good so that no one else sees but God. This is a fruit that comes from our life when we're abiding in him and his words abiding in us. Another fruit in Hebrews 12.11 is righteousness. Hebrews 12.11 says, Now chastening for the present does not seem to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. God is about the work of trying to produce fruit of righteousness in your life, that you might live righteously, that you might have a demonstration in your life where you are more righteous in your actions than you were before, that you have more fruit in your life than you did before. I'm not talking about a set of legalistic rules, but I am talking about actions and attitudes, words, all of it, that begin to be lived out, and the fruit is righteousness, truth, right living, living that honors God, pure, clean, Glorifying him. This is a fruit, and this is what he is about in our life. Another fruit, or the last one I want to talk to you about, is listed for us in Matthew 3 8. And there he talks, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and his calling is that they would, as he says, bear fruit of repentance. Hmm. Repentance. It's the Bible word for change, complete change, so that you are not like you were. So there was a day you walked in your own ways, but there was a day you came to full repentance of your old ways, and you said, I am going to follow Jesus Christ. He died for me, he is alive for me, and I will live for him. Repentance, change, it happens like that. That can be... That moment you came to Christ, like for me, 1981, the summer. Or maybe it's another point in your life where you say, you know, I have um, I've been doing my own thing for a while. I've been living far from Christ, trying to work this thing out on my own. But God's doing something fresh and new in me. Both of those are examples of repentance. I've told you before that we have a a group of folks that are watching online right now in Montana. Uh, There's a boys ranch in Montana that's a long way from town. And their church is us. So they are joining us this morning. Hi, folks in Montana. Yeah, y'all can say hello to them. So I usually get a text from them. And uh, last week I had a text from... um, the lady that we know there, her name is Lauren Dillon. And Lauren said, um, we're all here and loving the worship. She said it during the, the worship time. And she said, the messages have been great. And then she said this, Tony, one of the young boys there, gave his life to Jesus this last week. 
Praise God. Amen? Amen. That is an example of fruit, of repentance. And they're joining in with us, and God is at work there, as he is at work here. That's the fruit that comes when you abide in him and his word abides in you. The process ought to be that there is more fruit in our life today than there ever has been before. The vine dresser would walk out and he would look at the vine and the branches. If he had a section that had less fruit in its life now than it had before, he would be concerned. Something's wrong. I have pruned this. I have protected this. I have watered this. There should be more fruit today than there ever has been before. And that ought to be true in our lives as well. From this verse, that where Jesus started with an if, if you're abiding in him and his words are abiding in you, there'll be fruit. If, if you're not having as much fruit today, if there's no fruit, something's wrong. Where did you stop abiding? What caused you to trail off? What caused you to pull away? What happened? Because Jesus wants you to bear fruit. It all starts with the if. And then we get to a fascinating part of this verse. Look at the next phrase. If... You're abiding in me, Jesus says, in the chair. If my words are abiding in you, then here is a promise. And when a promise shows up in Scripture, you better take notice. Because this is something you can take to the bank. This is solid. This is real. And this is where you can camp out. Look what it says. If these things are true, if these things are true, you will ask what you desire. Whoa. You mean I can just ask? That's what it said. You will ask what you desire. I don't need to give you any elaborate Greek teaching to tell you anything different than what it says. You will ask what you desire. Now, it's part of a context. If. Uh Uh-oh. If. You don't get this if you hadn't met the if. You can't get to this part of the verse if you're not doing the if. If you're not abiding in me, if his words are not abiding in you, Don't expect to ask what you desire and get it. I can't be more clear about what Jesus is saying here, but I would flip it as well to what the truth is. If you are completely abiding in him, you are resting in him, trusting in him, putting him first, you recognize that his goal is produce fruit in your life, not cars, boats, and bank accounts, but fruit. He's working to produce the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He's looking to produce the fruit of repentance. He's looking to produce the fruit of actions that glorify him. He's looking to produce the fruit of righteousness. If you are down with that, if you are on that track, if you believe that that's what he's doing, and that he will rearrange your life however he needs to to produce that fruit, If you believe that and you're letting that truth abide in you, yes, then you can ask whatever you desire. Because he will be the one who gives you the desire. And he will give you desires 
that you may have never even thought about before. You see, if you're abiding in him, his spirit is in you, and the new man is coming alive, and you're not like you once were. All of a sudden, there's new faith, there's new hope, new love, new, new dreams. God will put those there. He will place those desires there. You'll, you'll be in a church service on one Sunday. You'll be listening to God's word being taught. You'll hear the worship and you'll feel something you had never felt before. You will feel this urge to just want to just worship God. It'll happen to you. And in that moment, don't say, well, that's weird, I've never felt that before, I'm not gonna do that. You just shut down the desire God put in your heart. He put that there. You'll, you'll be listening to God's word. You'll be driving on your way to work one day. You'll be thinking about a scripture passage. and All of a sudden, you're going to get this desire to be kind to someone who's in the lane next to you, who's trying to cut you off. And you're going to get an urge to let him and be okay with it and pray for him. Act on that when it happens. Don't give in to the other desire. That new desire is not some weird version of you. It's the real you. Act on that. You're going to get an urge, a desire to want to love your spouse unselfishly. Don't let Satan steal that and say, well, you know, if you do that, they're going to take advantage of you. Come on, listen to the Spirit of God within you and act in obedience to what he says. Because when you're resting in him and his words are resting in you, you can ask what you desire because he put the desire there. You're going to get an urge to go and reconcile a relationship with someone that you've been at odds with for a long time. That's not weird. That's God in you. He put that there. Don't deny it. Don't play it off. Don't ignore it. Don't discount it. Don't come up with seven reasons why it wouldn't work. Act on it. He put the desire there. That's why Jesus can say, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask what you desire. He puts a desire in you to use you in some form of ministry? Don't deny that. Don't ignore that. Don't say, I'm too old. Don't say, I'm too unlearned. Don't say, I'm too unskilled. Don't say that. Those are what great men of the Bible said. Until they surrendered. If God puts a dream and a desire in you, he means for you to act on it. Ask what you desire. If you have a desire to train your children up in the ways of God, do that. If you have a desire to make a difference at your work, do that. Don't be afraid of that. It's God speaking to you. If you have a desire to see an entire culture change, and there's something that God's stirring in you that says, I, I believe somehow God wants me to be a part of that. You better act on that. Because God put it there. And what he begins, he will fulfill, not you. Act on it and watch what happens. It's one of the evidences of the Spirit of God when there's desire. I am loving what God is doing at Vertical Church right now. I don't know if you sense it. I hope you do. Because God is doing something fresh here. It's happening here on Sunday mornings. It's happening in our lift groups. And it has recently been happening here on Wednesday nights. We started something brand new two weeks ago on Wednesday nights. Something for everyone. Children through whatever age you might be. There's something for our Elevate kids, our Elevate Extreme 5th and 6th grade, 
our RISE student ministry, and then four adult groups, a men's group, a women's group, our foundations class looking at the basics of belief, and our Restoration 360 group. So uh, right now, I'm not teaching any of those, but I'm up here and I'm walking around and I'm looking and I'm watching. I'm helping people get to where they need to go. And for the past two weeks, on Wednesday nights, seven o'clock, we've had over 120 people here on campus excited to learn God's word. Amen? Amen. And people aren't filing in like, okay, I'm here to go to my class. That's not what's happening, folks. You can go up into fifth and sixth grade. Whoo. Fifth and sixth grade. They had 19 in the room this past week on Wednesday night. And they are literally bouncing off the walls. I, I, I saw it. There are children in Elevate who are, they're not just here and we're not just offering childcare. We are helping them know about who Jesus Christ is. That's happening for our students. 21 this past week in the Rise Student Ministry. And they are gathering together to connect. Of course, they laugh and cut up, but they're looking at Scripture and they're learning how to live out this faith. And each of these four groups, adults walking in. Where's my group? Okay, yeah. I mean, they're on mission. They're like, let's go. We were struggling this past week with space. The men needed a spot. So down these two halls is a lobby. It's the daycare lobby. 16 men all packed in that area back there, and they were learning about how to live out this faith, how to live courageous in their faith. Our women's Bible study group was in here uh, in the office in our conference room. Uh, I believe there were 12 or 13 in our foundations class in our Restoration 360 class, which meets in my office. If you've ever been in my office, you know it's not real big. 14 in that spot, all studying God's Word together. There's desire. Amen? There's a new desire that God is awakening, that he's pouring out. And when that happens, when you start abiding in him and his words abiding in you, and he gives you a desire, he says, you can ask what you desire. That's the if, here's the then. It shall be done for you. What? It shall be done for you. Whatever you ask, it shall be done for you. It will come to pass. It will happen. There was not a maybe. There was not a we'll see about it. There was not a three out of ten times. It doesn't say that. It says it shall be done for you. In other words, it's going to happen. You probably shouldn't even say if. You should just say when at this point or shall. It shall be done. So when God told Noah... No, I need you to build an ark. There's going to be a flood. And Noah thought, what's a flood? Don't ask questions, Noah. It's time to get some wood and start building. You're going to build what you don't know and prepare for what you don't know because God's going to do something bigger than what you do know and rescue you, Noah. You're going to Noah then. Gotcha. <clears throat> when God said to Abraham... You're going to have children as numerous as the stars in the sky. Abraham, have you seen my wife? Have you seen me? We don't, we don't look like childbearing age or people. Abraham, you better start building a crib is all I can say. Because when God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. When God said through Elijah, there's going to be a storm. Rain was coming. After a long period of drought, and others might have thought, I don't see any clouds in the sky. Elijah said, you better pack an umbrella quick. It's about to rain. His servant said, I do see a small cloud in the sky. It's, uh, it's about the size of my hand. It's really, really, run! There's a storm coming! That's what you do when God says, here's what I'm going to do. You, you bank on it. You count on it. When you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and he tells you that no one can snatch you out of his hand, then you better get a pillow and rest on that. 
because they won't. They can't. When the Bible says, when God says, when his word in you says, trust in me with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. and all your ways acknowledge him, he will make your path straight. When he says that and when you believe that, you better get your shoes because he's about to make a path and he's going to make it straight and you're going to know exactly which way to go. Get ready. He will do what he says he was going to do. When he says he's going to prune you, water, if you will abide in him, he's going to produce much fruit in you, then you better be ready for fruit because you're a branch. And that's what branches do. They bear fruit. So here we are again. Fruit. It's the picture. Jesus is using a vineyard. This is the picture. In a sense, it's like the promise. That. It's a picture. This is um, the container that a grapevine came in that I picked up about three weeks ago at H-E-B in Waxahachie. And I thought, man, that is pretty incredible. You get that? Really? You, you, you get this? It's like that was a... A promise almost, a picture. That's amazing. That will come from that little stick that was in it. I mean, it was a little stick. I thought, that's got to be a joke, right? Somebody just stuck a Texas pecan tree stick in there like, put this fake front on it, you know. No, it says, grow your own Thompson grapes. There's the promise. I don't see how it could be, but there's the promise. I'm going to trust in that. I started watching that little vine, and we've, we've been watching it too over the past several weeks. We've been watching things that happen into the vine because it started off a stick. Last week it had some buds to it. Isn't that crazy? Look at that. The first week, this was all we saw. And then this appeared. And I can tell you, I did not go to Hobby Lobby, <laughs> buy some greenery, cut it, and glue it on here. These are not fake. These are real. These branches came out of the vine. It came from what was inside the vine. All of this was in here. It always had been. All of this was down in here. And what's crazy is, this is just the beginning. I don't know where this thing's going to go over the next weeks and months. But I know this that all that's going to come is all right in here. It's in the vine. Branch, as long as you'll keep abiding in the vine. If you, if you jump off of here, I can't, I can't guarantee you anything. If you cut off the supply, uh, I can't guarantee what's going to happen next. There's, there's a lot that's going to happen and so, promise of what's to come and a lot of desire coming up. Ever feel like that in life? It feels like I've just got, I got so much I want to see happen. I mean, I'm trying, I'm trying to walk with the Lord, I'm trying to serve Him, I'm trying to search in His Word, I'm, I'm trying to live out what He's telling me. Lots of desire, lots of promise. This is what I look like now. I don't know that I'm going to look like that. But the Bible says you will. Jesus said, if you will abide in me, you will bear fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. So, lots of desire, lots of promise, lots of space.
right here, right? There's some distance between here and here. You don't just get here and then next week get here. Don't expect me to come next week and bring our little vine and branches and expect to see this. This, from here to here, takes time, takes work, takes the vine dresser's work. So when I look at this passage, I see something similar. Let's back up a screen. Because Jesus said, you will ask what you desire. That's this. Lots of desire, God. I desire for my life to be different. I desire for my marriage to be different. I desire to walk in your ways. I desire to honor you. I desire to glorify you. I have lots of desire. Desire for my children to come to know you. Desire for my marriage to be this beautiful picture of you and the church. I, just lots of desire. Ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Right? Do you know what's between here and here? In this verse, there's only one thing. A comma. Do you see the comma? Can you see it? A comma. A comma is a separator. A comma separates this from that. A comma says this is one thought, this is another thought. A comma is a bit of a pause. A comma is a little bit of, just wait a minute. You will ask what you desire, and it will be done for you. Comma. This space in between here is comma. From here to here, separated by a comma. It's in the comma that change has to happen. A lot has to happen for you, sir, ma'am, before you can get this. You might get this. Huh? Good. But to get from here to here, comma. Can you hear me chewing? A comma is where the change happens. A comma is where the pruning happens. A comma is where the rains come. A comma is when the winds blow. A comma is when the sun shines. A comma is when the summer comes. A comma is when the next pruning season happens again and you get cut away, all that you've done and grown, and that was last season. Now it's time for a new season. A comma is what gets you from here to here. If you don't go through the comma, you can't get to the promise. This is the drama that you got to get through the comma. You got to go through it. You got to let it change you. Don't let your comma become a period, an ending point. Just because it gets tough, just because there's change, just because there's pruning, don't let that stop you. Keep moving through the comma. Don't let your comma become a question mark that makes you end the sentence of your life. Press on through the comma. The comma is what changes you. The comma is where your heart is changed. The comma is where you trust. The comma is where you have to lean. The comma is the awkward point of letting go and trusting him. The comma is where you've got to be altered completely if you want to have this because this can't sustain this. There's no way. It's too heavy. You're going to have to grow some more before you can have much much fruit. You've got to go through the comma. Jesus is telling this to his disciples because he is about to go through the comma. You read in John 15, 16, 17, 17. Many believe, and they call this the 
high priestly prayer of Jesus. Some believe he was actually praying these in the garden. That in this most intense time, he was praying. We know that the Bible says he was praying with such vigor and strength and just concern that his sweat actually became like blood. Such pressure, such crying out to God, such desire that the capillaries in his face burst and blood began to pour. John 17, 24 says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus was crying out with desire. He was holding to a promise and the promise was you and I. We were the fruit he was praying for that we would come to know his glory. But for that to happen, Jesus was going to have to go through the comma. He was going to have to be changed. We know the Bible says that Jesus went into the garden. He said, Father, and I don't pretend to come anywhere near the agony, distress, that Jesus had in that moment as he said if there be another way let this cup pass from me there's no answer from the father you're going to have to go through the comma and Jesus arrives at a place where he says not my will but your will be done you see what I'm talking about? He became changed and submitted because you can't get from desire to promise without going through a comma. There are things in your life that God has put in your heart that are desires. Desires for your own personal life. Things that other people don't even know about you. There are longings there that he has awoken in you. And they, they're out there. They look like this. You think, that would just be so amazing for that to happen. And God's saying to you, this can happen but you're going to have to go through the comma you are going to have to change this whole series has been wrapped around that one idea Lord change me change me so that I can bear fruit would you bow your heads with me this morning I don't know what God is speaking into your life right now I don't know what struggle you're going through. I don't know what pressure you're under. I don't know the dream that he's given you. But I can assure you if he's given you a dream, he wants you to be changed so that you can know the fruit. Would you be willing to say, God, I will change. I will change because of what you've called me to. Not my will. Your will be done. What you want to remove from my life, I'll remove it. What you want to change about how I think, act, talk, I will change. I will not be who I once was because I believe in the promise. Heavenly Father, this morning, 
I would have to believe that you're stirring hearts. You're continuing the process of change. You're doing something greater than even what we understand. You're looking to do the fullness of a work here this morning, and I pray we would not stand in the way, but that we would be willing to surrender the fullness of our lives to you. And in whatever area you've called us to step, act, obey, change, I pray we'd be instant in doing that. No delay. If you're calling us to forgive, may we forgive. If you're calling us to repent, may we repent. If you're calling us to walk in a new direction, may we walk in that new direction. If you're calling us to reconcile, let us reconcile. Let us be a people who abide in you and your words abide in us and we do what you say. That and nothing more. Because we believe that what you say, you'll do. When there's a promise given, you'll fulfill it. And in obedience, we'll step today. Because we do believe there's something greater coming. We believe the promise is coming. We believe fulfillment's coming. We believe blessing is coming. And we trust in you for it. And trust you alone for it. So Father, our our time now as we sing is our heart's response to you. It's our way of letting you know we believe, we'll trust, we'll surrender, we'll obey because there's something greater coming. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning as we stand and as we sing together? I really hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. I hope it has inspired you to lift him up and live him out. If you'd like to know more about Vertical Church, check us out online at verticalchurchovilla.com. We'll see you next time.